0: I'm going to invite you this morning to turn to Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, despite what you see there in your chimes. That was a little bit of what they call transposition there. I saw 12 and I wrote 21, and so there you have it. Uh, you can turn to 21, you read that too. It's a great verse. Uh, when you get done, go back to verse 12. Um, check, check that out this morning. If you don't have a copy, of God's Word with you this morning. That's no problem. That little red pew Bible in front of you there will do just fine and you can consider that your gift to us. If you need a Bible please do take that with you. Page 1118 in your pew Bible uh, you'll find Matthew chapter 7 verse 21. So as we do here at First Baptist Church I want to invite us all to stand this morning in honor of the reading of God's Word. As you can see, you won't be standing very long. Let's stand together. The Word of God says this, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful that you have given us so many words, such a, a vast description in your Word of what it means to be a follower of God and a believer and who you are and what you've expected us to do. But thank you, God, for summing it up in such a way that the smallest child and the the, the most honored and elder saint uh, can understand it. Lord, today I pray that we would do our best to hear and obey. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you're looking at your copy of the Chums, you can see that the, the title of the sermon is The Golden Rule and the Little Copyright Symbol, Jesus. Now, I gave Gina Fitz with that. <laughs> I'm trying to find the, the symbol there for the copyright. So, uh, but, you know, I, I'm kind of picky, and I was like, I need the symbol. But anyway, there it is. But I wanted to make it uh, clear that what we're talking about here is the copyright. Because, you know, what's, what's interesting, today we have so many things that 100 years ago people didn't have to think about when it comes to intellectual property. And some of the things they thought about uh, in vast, vast ways have become more difficult. It's probably harder to guard your copyright, your intellectual property, today than ever before. Laws are being tested and stretched by the World Wide Web, by social media platforms. And sometimes by the time a copyright infringement is caught and corrected, it's too late. Millions of people have already gotten hold of the pirated material or the altered material. Sometimes it's not even quoting something out uh, without a reference. It is quoting something with a reference that is not accurate. Maybe that's the worst kind, right? That is attributing something to someone who did not say it or write it. You know, I read an article recently on something called Deep Fakes. It's one of those kind of fly-by-night phenomenons, hopefully. Uh, it it's flew in and maybe, maybe it'll fly out. But it, it is where people have taken video and manipulated it using high-powered computers. And, and the manipulation is so accurate, so good, that even computer experts are having trouble telling the difference. And they think in the future... You won't be able to tell the difference. Now that to you might sound like mumbo-jumbo, but you can just imagine with digital television, uh, somebody capturing, let's say, the presidential speeches or campaign trail and manipulating it so that a candidate says one thing instead of another. And so there's all kinds of big issues looming coming up. But, you know, this is nothing new for the world. Stealing intellectual property has probably been around as long as there's been human beings. You know, I, I can just envision, you know, uh, a guy sitting down in a village and he's like, hey, hey, I come up with a new letter today. It's called L, you know. And, uh, and they're like, no, 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 you know, Joe over in the village over there, he came up with L last year. You're just, you're just trying to steal his idea. You know, so they go to court and, you know, it's a, it's a big mess. But people have been stealing intellectual property forever. Uh, It's part of the human nature to pass something off as your own and to twist others' ideas. They've been doing it for thousands of years. In fact, today we're going to talk about what I would consider one of the most egregious copyright infringements of all time. For ages and in most cultures, there is a version of the golden rule. You may not know this. But in many, many cultures and in many, many religions, there is a version of the Golden Rule. There is something like that, uh, sometimes very similar, sometimes not so much, you might think. But, but, but it is their view, their version of the Golden Rule. But I want to tell you that Jesus has the copyright. His version is the original and the only version uh, that is accurate to the Word of God, that is accurate to the heart of God and that we ought to take into our hearts and obey. The world may think they have other versions that are just as good, but they're just crude copies, crude counterfeits of the original. So today, I want us to do something a little different. I want us to look at some of the counterfeit golden rules before we take on the genuine article. So I want us to look at some of the counterfeit, some of the world's man-made golden rules And then we'll look at the genuine article today. As you can probably tell as we're going along today, it's going to be a little bit different style of sermon. I decided uh, I wasn't going to say point one and two and this sort of thing today because there's really just one main point, and I think we've already read it at the beginning of the sermon. Uh, so, So I want you to take that, let it sink in as we walk through, and we talk about what the golden rule is not, and then we talk about what it is So it's kind of, like I said, just a one-point sermon. I've already given you the point. You can sit back and relax if you're a note-taker at this point. So Scripture tells us that God created man in His own image uh, and that we have been given a sense of divine morality. So it's no surprise that people all across the world and throughout time have kind of come up with their own moral codes and guidelines. That's part of what it means to be human, I believe, Uh, But but what it means to be saved and, and renewed in our heart and mind is to take those moral codes and use the Scriptures as our guideline instead of our own thoughts. And it's interesting to see, in a sad way, how crafty the hearts of men are and how twisted the schemes of Satan are. To take some things that are good things and change just a little bit add just a little bit, take just a little bit away, and completely change the meaning of the golden rule. And as we go through some of these fakes, these counterfeit golden rules, you'll see a little bit of yourself in there. Maybe in all of them you'll see some of yourself. Because these are the things that mankind wants to do. We want to have a sense of morality and a moral code, but we want one that's easy for us to follow. We want one that, that... is different than the ones that God has laid out for us. So we're going to start in a real familiar biblical culture. We're going to start with the Egyptians. So in ancient Egypt, their version of the golden rule was this. Do to others to get them to do for you. Do to others to get them to do for you. Now, that sounds pretty close, doesn't it? I mean, you got the do and the others and you, and we've got a lot of the same ideas here. It may not be exactly the same, but it's pretty good. It's still telling us to be kind to others and and to do good things for others. So what's the problem here? What's the problem with this one? Well, I think you can see the problem, hopefully. Essentially, it's saying if you really want something from someone else, you know, you've got to go ahead and and be good to them. You know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. And the implication is, then otherwise, if you don't want something from that person, then you need not bother with being kind. You know, if that person isn't good for you to use, then you don't have to worry about how you treat them. You don't have to worry about being generous or loving. They're just a means to an end for you. Does that sound like the golden rule that we know? How about Hinduism? Boy, Hinduism is a storied, historic religion. It has been around for thousands of years. It has millions, if not billions, of adherents. It has sacred texts that are revered the world over. So what do the Hindus have to say? The Hindus' version of the Golden Rule goes like this. Do nothing unto others which would cause you pain if done to you. Do nothing unto others which would cause you pain if done to you. Okay, again, pretty close, right? Maybe even closer than the last one. We're getting there. Man, I feel like maybe the world's going to get it here in a minute. Let's, let's see. But, but what's the difference here? Do nothing unto others that would cause you pain if done to you. Well, really, this is all about leaving someone unharmed, and it says nothing about how you are to treat them otherwise. And in the spirit of Hinduism, this doctrine, this principle falls under the umbrella that that really overshadows everything in Hinduism called karma, which has the idea of if you do something, the universe has a way of balancing things out. So you better watch out, it's coming back. So really, this implies that if you do something to someone, it will be done to you. So in other words, be kind or else, right? You have to be nice to people or else you won't be treated nicely. That's just the way the universe works. That doesn't sound like the golden rule either. What about Buddha, and Confucianism? Very similar to Hinduism. It says this, Do not do to others what you do not want them to do to you. Do not do to others what you would not want them to do to you. This is a very, very popular one, actually. This is probably the most popular counterfeit golden rule. It is Buddhism. It is found in other places like Taoism. And it's even found in the Americas with the Incan Indians and probably some other places. They have this idea of the golden rule, which is to say, essentially, you leave me alone and I'll leave you alone. Right? That's their version of the golden rule. I'm not going to hurt you. You don't hurt me. I'm not going to push you off your roof. You don't push me off my roof. It doesn't say anything about what I do when I see you laying on the ground and, you know, with a broken leg. As long as I didn't push you off, I'm good. You know, I'm, I've done my part. I have obeyed my version of the golden rule. Because I have not harmed you. There is never any do this. It's always don't do that. Don't hurt. Don't harm how about something a little closer to home? How about the old Greek philosopher, Aristotle? Aristotle says this, We should behave towards friends as we would wish friends to behave towards us. <laughs> now I'm just going to tell you, that sounds exactly right, doesn't it? That sounds exactly like what Jesus said. Jesus said, What you wish others to do to you, do for them. That's what Aristotle is saying. I must have been wrong. There is somebody out there who gets it, isn't there? Or is it? Is there something different about what Aristotle says? We should behave towards friends as we would wish friends to behave towards us. Well, that is so easy to do, isn't it? And that is just like the world to say treat others as you want people to treat you. Well, Really, I mean, I guess your friends. (laughs) Who's going to treat everybody like that? Treat your friends well. Treat them how you want to be treated. It's not the same. Jesus would go on to point out the story of the Good Samaritan that our love extends even beyond just people who we consider our friends. Even beyond people we consider to be acquaintances. Even to enemies. What about stoicism? Stoicism says treat your inferior how you wish your superior to treat you. That one kind of sounds wrong from the get-go, doesn't it? This is all about your placement in society. It's, it's, it's about maybe military structure or something like this. It says nothing about how you are to treat your family your friends, people at your church, your everyday life, people you meet on the street. Uh, this sounds more like a company policy than a moral guideline, a, a way to climb the ranks and, and keep face at the same time. Stoicism doesn't have the answer. Oh, I know one that might, Jainism. You might not have even heard of Jainism. It's, it's big in India, trust me. It's a big religion over there. Uh, and, and it's one of those that, on the face of it, it looks really good. It's all about love. It's all about taking care of people. has high family values. What does Jainism say? Jainism says, a man should treat all creatures as he himself would be treated. Now, I have trouble finding a problem with that. That looks exactly like what Jesus said. Treat all creatures as you want to be treated. Isn't that what Jesus said? Almost there. See, this is one of those very, very clever things that Satan loves to do. He loves to take one little word and change it, just a little bit. So we go from treat others to treat all creatures. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? That lifts a mosquito to the level of a man. If a man pinches you on the arm, you wouldn't think of cutting his arm, cutting him in half with a sword, but you would slap a mosquito, right? You're not treating that creature like you want to be treated. It rises all of creation up to the level of those who God created in His image, those for whom He died and gave His Son, those who will live for eternity with Him, those who have a soul and a mind and a heart, It it, it totally twists creation. And you see this kind of sentiment acted out. This sentiment has made its way into the United States. Uh, Years ago, I I was, I don't know how I got into this, but I was participating in a study for uh, artificial intelligence, and it was asking me questions like, if there's an an elderly man drowning and your dog, uh, and you can only save one of them, who do you save? Uh, if there's three people crossing the street, you know, and, and one of them is older and there's two children, and it was all these questions about whose life is more valuable than others. And one of the scary things that we got back out of that study was that many people value the life of their pet over another human being. And the world looks at that and goes, yeah, that makes sense. Because all creatures should be treated the same you know what's interesting there's another group that got in on this act and you're going to cringe when I say this word but Satanists have a golden rule did you know that now there's probably various forms of Satanism but but generally speaking there is a golden rule in Satanism and it doesn't sound that bad actually and this is it Strive to act with compassion and empathy towards all creatures in accordance with reason. Strive to act with compassion and empathy towards all creatures in accordance with reason. Man, Satan is sly, isn't he? That doesn't sound bad. That sounds like a good thing. But there's a couple things wrong with this, and they are major things. One, we've already talked about all creatures. Every creature is not the same. Every creature is not the same value to God. shouldn't be to us. But there's another bigger problem. Satan adds this one little caveat here, in accordance with reason. I think this is one of those, gosh, this is going to sting, that you and I probably follow more often than we think. You and I probably follow the satanic golden rule more often than we think. Because what he's essentially saying here is you can do good to others as long as it seems reasonable to you, which means as soon as you don't think it's reasonable, you don't have to do it. That means you decide when you get to be kind. You decide when you forgive. You decide when when you go out of your way to help someone, you decide when you sacrifice to do something for someone else. It's up to you. Friends, that is the core tenet of Satanism and and of Satan's schemes in this world, which is you have the authority. You make the decisions. You are your own boss. You do what feels good for you. You do you is at the core of what it means to follow the prince of the power of the air. Do whatever is reasonable to you. In other words, do what you want. Be kind, but, but just do what you want. Be kind however you want. Be kind to whoever you want. If someone is not kind to you, that's not reasonable to be kind back to them. If someone is, is, is forgets your birthday, you, know, you don't have to be polite to them when you see them in the hallway. That's not reasonable. There are many other religions we could talk about. Some of the main ones I have not spoken of. The, interestingly, there's no mention of a golden rule that I could find in the Quran. So, uh But Muslims do adhere to the Old Testament, so maybe uh, we, we could put them in with the Jewish people there. I, I don't know. I, uh, but but and there's some others that we didn't mention. I'll, I'll kind of address that later on. I couldn't stand up here all day and just list everything, but I wanted to give you a smattering of the world, and I wanted you to see how cleverly worded they are, and I also really wanted you to see kind of in that moment where that does kind of make sense. I get it. I have felt myself abiding by that golden rule instead of this one. So if those are the fakes, what is the original well, I contend that the original is first recorded in Leviticus 19.18. Essentially, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Right? That is the kind of original core golden rule. And when pressed, Jesus said that that rule, that principle, is the greatest commandment that God has ever given, second only unto love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. And he said the whole law and the prophets depend on these two. So it summarizes the Word of God and what God has called us to do. Now let's look at what we call the golden rule. We've already read it today. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Again, going back to that idea of this is what summarizes the Word of God, the law and the prophets. So we can see clearly that, that these two are linked in Jesus' mind. He is talking about Leviticus 19, and I'll get to that in just a moment. But, so we find this golden rule here. If you've got a Bible with the red letters, you can see there's a lot of red letters right here. This is the Sermon on the Mount, and His discussion of the golden rule comes kind of at the tail end of the Sermon on the Mount. And at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is essentially applying... Some well-known teachings. He is saying, uh, here's the law or here's the rule. You have heard it said. And then he's given his application, but I say to you. And so he's saying things like, you have heard it said, do not kill. And uh, everybody's pretty cool with that one. But what I say to you, the application of that, the outworking of that, isn't simply don't plunge a knife into someone's heart. It could be as simple as saying that you hate someone or harboring hatred in your heart. And so he goes on to explain, really, the spirit, the spirit of the laws of God. And this is no exception. He is communicating to the people that he has a better interpretation. And he has the authority and the wisdom to give it to them. And I believe that this is Jesus' application of Leviticus 19, 18. Love your neighbor as yourself. Because if you think about it, it's pretty simple just to say stuff like that. Well, love your neighbor. Sure, I love him. Yeah, I love that guy. He's, he's sweet. I love it when he cranks his loud truck up in the middle of the night, when he blows the grass clippings to my yard. I just love that guy. He's great. You know? We, love, we all love our neighbors. And we can say those words. But Jesus says, no, no, no. Here's what it means. To love Him. Here's what it means to love that person that you ran into on the bus or, or, or that you, you, you talked to at the gas station or that came to church and visited or that plays on the baseball team or has a kid playing on the same baseball team as yours. This is what it means to love that person. It means to think about what they want and need and then do it for them. That's difficult. The reason it's important for us to know the source of the golden rule, that it is love your neighbor, is that loving your neighbor is a heart condition. You're never going to do for others until you love them. You're never going to, to minister to that person and to go out of your way and sacrifice for that person if you don't love them. And the two work together. This is the heart condition on the inside, and it also might tell us why we don't care for our neighbors. We really don't love them. And I want to tell you that loving your neighbor is probably the most distinctly biblical idea in this whole discussion today, this whole sermon today. And I have not found it duplicated anywhere in the world. At the beginning, I I said I've covered a lot of religions. I left a lot out. In every place that I looked, in every religion, in every scholar, in every philosopher I looked at, I did not find anyone that said, love others as yourself or anything close to that. I found a lot of things that say something like treat people kindly. But to my knowledge, no one else other than God has commended us to love others as ourselves. And the truth is, even the people of God have a hard time with that. Even the people of God have a hard time with that. There's one version of the golden rule that I didn't tell you about that belongs to the people of God. This was written in the book of Tobit. Now, Tobit is a Jewish apocryphal writing, and it was written in the intertestamental period. A lot of big words to say. It's written between the time when the Old Testament ended and Jesus came by a Hebrew scholar. And it was well thought of. As a matter of fact, you can still find this book if you have a really old copy of the King James Bible. If you have a Catholic Bible which has the Apocrypha in it, you'll find this book in there. And Tobit says this. He says, Do that to no man which thou hatest. Now remember, this was written before Jesus came along, and probably he was familiar with it. I would imagine he would be. I can almost hear, he doesn't use this formula, but I can almost hear Jesus saying, You may have heard it said, Do not do to others which you hate. But I say to you, Do to others what you wish them to do for you. It has the ring uh, uh, of truth, doesn't it? What's scary, though, is even the people of God who have love your neighbor as yourself did not know how to interpret it properly. I'm sure some did. But this was a well-known guy, a very respected author and, and Hebrew scholar, and he came up with this golden rule on his own, which is completely not what the Bible teaches. And Jesus has to come back and give us the corrective, even to the people of God. The golden rule doesn't mean you just leave people alone and don't hurt people. The golden rule doesn't just say stop being mean to others. The golden rule is the opposite of that, in fact. Do good. You know, human beings, we are bent on this idea of give me a list of things I can't do. It's called legalism in some ways here, but... But we want that list of do's and don'ts, and we just want one that says, this is how far I can go, no further. Tell me how nice I have to be to that person before I start sinning. You know, when I was a youth pastor many moons ago, one of the questions I would get probably most often of all the questions that you get with teenagers was, was, Brother Woody, how far can I go? How far is too far? Now some of them were talking about you know, sexual things and they really were confused. But some were talking about how, how nice do I have to be? Do I really have to forgive that person? Uh, can, I, can I cheat a little bit on a test as long as I'm doing what the teacher says even though I know I'm still cheating? Can I deceive someone as long as I'm technically not saying a lie? Can I lead them to believe something that isn't true? How far can I go and still not be in sin? They wanted wanted to know where the line was in the sand so that they could walk right up to it and be as bad as they could possibly be and still, quote, not be sinning. And I don't remember ever getting the question, Brother Woody, how can I keep my heart pure? I don't think I've ever heard that from anybody, to be honest with you, but but how can I stay away from these things? How, How can I be as honest as I can? Tell me how to be... Tell me how to be sexually pure and moral. Am I doing anything wrong? No, we want a line. The Hindus wanted it. Tobit wants it. You and I want it sometimes. We want to know, what can't I do? Because that means I can do everything else but that. We want to know all of the things we can't do. And not only is that the wrong perspective, but it also does something to your heart. It does something to your heart when the only thing you focus on is the bad things and the sin. And that's what Jesus was trying to do in multiple ways. He was trying to shift us away. You know, he could have said the golden rule is try hard not to sin. He could have said, if you want to summarize the law, uh, don't be bad. And it would be fine. We would think, that's brilliant. That's brilliant but he does something totally unexpected and he says, I I'm not going to even ask you to look at the law. I don't want you to, to think about the sin. I want you to think about the opposite. I want you to think about love. Think about doing good. He said the, summary, the summation of the law is love, not make sure you don't sin. I want you to think about just for a moment here. How different your daily life would be. How different long term your life would be if instead of focusing on all the things we shouldn't do and all the sins that I can't do and trying to stop doing all these bad things, if instead we started focusing on doing the good things. We start with love. How much more joyful would it be to follow the Lord? Now, I'm not saying that you forget about sin, okay? Uh, I, I'm saying we don't focus on those and make those the center of our attention. You know, we can see this in everyday life in ways other than sin. If you've ever played sports or even if you watch sports on TV, you know that it is a mistake to focus on not making a mistake, right? I used to do this when I played baseball. I, man, I, I was the worst at doing this. A ball gets hit in my direction, and immediately I'm thinking, okay, don't miss it. You know, that's what I was thinking. I'm standing in the batter's box, and I would think, okay, don't strike out. The worst was standing at the free throw line in basketball when the game is on the line. And, you know, there's no time left, and you have the shot, the two shots that could tie and then win the game. The worst thing you can do is stand there and go, okay, do not screw this up. Don't miss. Everybody is going to hate you if you miss this shot. you got to make it. Don't miss because what you're going to do is you're going to get a little nervous and your arms and your knees are going to get a little weak and you're going to leave that shot short. Trust me on that. Been there, done that. What they tell you is don't focus on not Making the shot. Focus on making it. Focus on the ball going into the hoop. Now, that's just in sports, but the same idea is true in spiritual matters. If we focus on not doing things, then that's all we're going to think about. I'm going to think about sin all day long. If I think about dealing with my anger issues and all I think about is I can't be angry right now, I'm so angry, I wish I wasn't angry. And you're going to think about anger all day, and I don't think that's going to help. Jesus comes in and he says, let's focus on the spirit of love your neighbor. And I want you to know there is not a loophole in the spirit of this law. And as Paul would go and clarify in Romans chapter 2, it is the spirit of the law that we ought to be following and not the letter. As I said before, you can say to your child, don't tell a lie. And they interpret that as, okay, I can let somebody believe something that's not true intentionally and still be fine. That's not the case, right? The spirit of the law is don't deceive, right? So, But the spirit of the law is more important. The spirit of love your neighbor is more important than the letter. Let me explain. The letter of the law says, Whatever you wish that others would do to you, Do also to them. Now, I have been in the process of applying this this passage of Scripture, this law, this rule, to people's hearts, and I have gotten a response very similar to this. Well, if I got myself into that mess, I wouldn't expect anybody to help me out. If I was that stupid and did that, I would deserve what I got. If it were me, I would just pull myself up by my bootstraps and go. And they're trying to follow the letter of the law, literally thinking, what would I want? Now, it might seem, well, Brother Woody, isn't that what it says? But remember, Jesus is here teaching us the spirit of the law is not to do exactly what you would want. Jesus is calling us to love them on their terms, not yours. Love that person on their terms and in the way they want to be loved, not the way you want to be loved. Not literally doing for you what you wish someone would do because if that's the case, then this past June when my four-year-old daughter turned four years old, I would have taken her out for a nice steak dinner and given her a gift card to Bass Pro because that's what I would like her to do for me. Right? That'd be great. I'm doing exactly what the Bible says. I'm doing for her what I would want somebody to do for me. And you laugh at that because it is silly. But we do the exact same thing in everyday life when we treat other people, quote, the way we want to be treated instead of loving them on their terms. Doing what that person would want. So I didn't do that for my daughter. What did I do? I bought her a bunch of pink ballerina stuff with... The little slippers, and a tiara. Most definitely something, if you're wondering, that I would not want done for me. But I did it for her because I knew that that's the way she wanted to be loved. I was loving her on her terms. You know, Christ, obviously, is the ultimate example. He is the ultimate example of loving us on our terms. And that's our task, to follow His... Example, the Bible says to lay down your life for a friend is considered a great love. Jesus laid down His life for enemies, people that hated Him. He endured spiritual torment and physical torment, unlike anything even possible for human beings, and He did it for people who, one, could never repay Him, two, would never if they could, three, even if we weren't expected to repay, we couldn't even thank Him enough. Our gratitude All the gratitude you could ever muster would not be enough thanks. He did it for someone who could do nothing for him. We're to follow in his footsteps. And let me tell you, let me get real specific. There's many things that I could say here, but we're talking about people to people. We're talking about loving those, and sometimes we think this verse is like, well, you know, we we send money to the starving children in Ethiopia or something like that. But I'm telling you, this is about... That person who is always rude to you and that you are always kind to. That person to whom you feel so hard to respect when they show you no respect. Jesus is calling us to be respectful to them and love them, even if they aren't to you. To be respectful to that person, love that person, even if they're disrespectful to you. As a matter of fact, especially if they are not respectful, especially if they don't deserve it. And that's what makes us different than the world. That's what changes the hearts of men, and that is what separates the golden rule of Jesus Christ from that of the world. It's so easy to be like Aristotle and treat our friends kindly. And say, I've got my circle of friends, and sure I'm going to forgive old Joe Bob over there He's been my buddy for 30 years. He'll forgive me too. You know, It's easy to to circle up the wagons and love those people who love us and think we're applying and living out the golden rule. I'm the chief of this. Now let me go ahead and say, number one, you ought to be loving those people who love you. Please don't overlook that today. Please don't overlook the people who are, are under your roof and uh, the contacts in your phone that come up at the top of the list, those people that you have holiday meals with and that you fellowship with, your church and your family. We ought to be loving them, first and foremost. But it's not just about them. It's not just about loving our friends. What if Jesus had died for only His friends? Where would all of us enemies be? Where would all of us enemies be? You know, the Golden Rule has worldwide gospel implications. It goes on beyond us. It is not just about you and me, it is about the gospel in the world, and it is about making something that is offensive that is, the fact that you're a sinner and you need Jesus Christ in your life. You've been doing it wrong all these years. You need to repent and change and put Jesus as Lord of your life. That's offensive to people. We don't need to be. The gospel is offensive and it's hurtful and it tears at the heart of men. The church does not need to be offensive. Jesus did not say to His disciples that people will know you by your political stances or your sarcastic comments on Facebook. says, we would know you by the way that you love one another. I would love it if our church was known as the church that loved one another and loved our neighbors. I think that would be the best testimony that we could possibly give to the world and to Gadsden. I'm closing the sermon down here, and I want to ask you a question. A few moments ago, I asked, what if Jesus died for His friends? Where would His enemies be? Where would you be? Where are you now? In Romans 8, Paul said, For God showed His love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life see, all of this driving discussion of love is the love of God. And God has put His money where His mouth is when He's talking about love. Actually, He put His Son there, didn't He? He put His one and only Son in your place because He loved you. He's not just telling you what to do and talking about love. He is proving it by forgiving you of your sins if you only trust and repent and you come to Him in faith and you believe that Jesus died for your sins and you believe that He can pay your sin debt and you hand your life over to Him, He will save you. Wipe out every sin that you've ever done. Change you from the inside out. He will do that. Not because you deserve it. Not because you're His buddy and His friend, but because He loves you. If you are here today and you've never experienced the love of Christ, I compel you. Come today. You can come down front. Talk to me. You don't have to move to receive Christ. You could pray in your chair. You could do it when you get home. You could call this week and make an appointment to come by the office and talk. But maybe you have experienced the love of God and you've not been extending the love of God to others today. Actually, I can say with certainty, probably every one of us have not been doing that perfectly, right? None of us have mastered that, but maybe you feel impressed today. Confess your sin to God, and I wish that you would. Again, you can do that down front. You can do it in your pew. You can do it when you get home. Just don't put it off. Don't put it off today. Just a moment, we're going to offer an invitation. We're going to sing. And during that song will be the time you're welcome to come down front. Speak to me if you have questions about what it means to be forgiven. If you have questions about the love of God. If you have questions about First Baptist Church. We can begin that conversation today. In just a moment, we're going to sing, and that's your time to come. Let me pray this morning for us. Lord, we're so humbled by this simple, simple command to treat others as we want to be treated, to love others as ourself. Lord, we know that we are never going to master that. We know that we'll spend a lifetime working towards that. But I thank you, God, that in one fell swoop, you loved us perfectly. and There was not anything missed. There was not, there was not a piece of my heart that was unloved. There was not anything that you held back, even your own son you gave for me. Lord, I pray that we would follow in your footsteps today, responding in faith, both for salvation and for good works as we go on in this life. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.